finishing up 2 Kings today. So this is the last time you can see this chart. Why do I have both 1 and 2 Kings on the same chart? Yes, originally they were one book. When were they split? The Septuagint. Yeah, when the Septuagint translated, yeah, which was about 300 years before Christ. So, last time, we did Israel and Judah up to Israel's exile. And I'll pass that because we also did King Hezekiah. And so, this week we're going to finish up Hezekiah's son. What was Hezekiah's son's name? Manasseh. So we're doing Manasseh to the Babylonian exile. So, um, we've got our timeline that all of you have a copy of this. If you don't, let me know and I'll give you one. That's an answer. Um, last time we did Hezekiah. Well, actually, we need to talk about the Assyrian captivity. Um, the year when they went, when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity was 7.2 BC. And, and that's, there aren't a lot of dates you have to remember, but that's a good date to remember if you, if you have a mind for numbers, 7.2 BC. Uh, it just helps, if you know a couple of dates, it helps to put things into their uh, proper slot. If you, if you hear someone mention a date in the BCs, if you know 722 BC, you can say, well, it's, it's a number lower than that, it was after, or it was a number higher than that, it was before. The other date I would like to remember is 586 BC. And what does that date represent? Yeah, when the southern kingdom was taken captive and the Babylonian captivity. So, back in, at 722 BC, which, what was the world empire at the time? Assyria. Um, and so when Hezekiah was besieged by a foreign enemy, who was a foreign enemy? Nope. <laughs> there was Assyria. <laughs> because you see, Hezekiah, look at his, his line actually crosses that point when, uh, when they were taken into captivity. See, you can just follow straight across and you can see it. His line is, is kind of red. And at that top point, he actually was reigning at the time when the Assyrians took the northern kingdom captive. And they didn't stop it. They just came on down and, and, and beat up on, on Judah as well. That was when, that, that was when uh, Hezekiah was, had the letter and he was spread out before the Lord. Right. That, that <coughs> That's exactly Yes. Was Hezekiah a good or bad king? Good. How do you know that? Because of plus signs. <laughs> yeah, that plus sign. <laughs> the author of this chart did a nice job. Um, he really was was excellent. He he, he did a lot of reforms. Um, just a, a man of faith. Just really great. How about his son? And as was he good? No. Not till the end. He ended up. There's nothing in this whole story about that. Not yet, but it's in the <laughs> yes, this is one of the funny things about Kings and Chronicles that um, there's certain details that one will leave out and the other one will have it in there and you think, that's important, why do you leave that out? And we'll talk about that later on this morning. We'll talk about why 
apply the difference between Kings and Chronicles. So Manasseh reigned for how long? Quite a long time. Yeah. Really long. I don't know. Yeah, you can see because there's a black line. That's a long line. Anyone know how long it was? Chapter 21, verse 1. 44 years. No. It, you have to be in the way. Yeah. 2 Kings 21, verse 1. 55 years. Well, that's a terrible long time for someone that's so wicked as he was. Uh, up until this point, the good kings have generally reigned long and the bad kings have generally reigned short. <coughs> and so the, the good tended to outweigh the bad. But now you've got a guy that is, is worse than everyone that's before him. There, there, there just wasn't any king, I don't think, before Manasseh and Judah that was as wicked as he was. And he reigned for this huge, huge time. He, um, in verse 2, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations and the Lord dispossessed for the sons of Israel. Verse 3, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed and he erected altars for Baal. I mean, all the work that his father had done to try to reform things, he just undoes it. It's terrible. And of course, he did damage to the temple. Um, it says he made his son pass through the fire, which means he offered him as a burnt offering. That was part of the worship to Moloch. Um, in verse 7, he set up the carved image of a Shearer that he made in the house in which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen of all the tribes of Israel, holds my name forever. In other words, he's putting an idol in the temple of God. Just, it was horrible. That wasn't that wasn't all of it though. In um, verse sixteen, moreover Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin which he made you to sin and doing evil on the side of the Lord. Jewish tradition says that he was the one who had Isaiah put to death. Now you see, Isaiah prophesied from the time of Uzziah on into the days of Manasseh, but he died at some point in there. And, and Jewish tradition, again, I don't know how, I mean, it's not in the Bible, but I just mentioned that they believe that Manasseh executed Isaiah. Certainly this verse would not contradict that. He shed much innocent blood. You just had a ruthless dictator here who just did whatever he wanted, anyone stand in his way, he just had an execute. And what did God say he was going to do because of this? This is in verse 11 on through verse 15. It's captivity. Because of Manasseh's sin, they were going to be taken captive. Yes. <clears throat> now, of course, it didn't happen in the days of Manasseh, though it, as Tracy told us in Chronicles, we do read about something to do with Manasseh as well. But, um, I mean, is it fair to take people down here into captivity for the sins of a guy that's already dead? And is that fair? Yeah, they continue to sin. That was exactly the problem. They, in the days of the last king Zedekiah, they were still in, 
committed the sins that Hezekiah, I mean, that Hezekiah, son of Manasseh, had, had brought into the land. Can somebody, I don't know which one, I think two of those kings were from the tribe of Judah, the end. The end. Yes, they were. They all were? They were descended from David. Everyone, everyone, all the way down there was descended from David. Yeah. You might have gotten mistaken when when it says Nebuchadnezzar put his uncle in as king. That's not Nebuchadnezzar's uncle. That was um, that was uh, Jehoiakim's uncle. Yeah, the way it reads is a little bit. It, yeah, I can see how you get that impression, but no, that's not what it means. They were all descended from David. They weren't good like David was. But they were descended from. So, at this point, there's just no going back. They've gone too far. Um, the rest of the time is is sort of like the nation's under judgment, and God's just waiting for them to die. And that's what and that's what happened. And it was a a slow or a painful death. Manasseh's <coughs> son was Ammon. He only reigned two years. Another evil guy. Um, his son was Josiah. How old was Josiah when he became king? Yeah, amazingly, amazingly young. Uh, obviously, at the age of eight, he had to have someone else who really made the decisions. So we don't read about him doing his reforms, you know, like in the first year of his reign. When he passed it. I don't know who it was that was in charge, but um, probably whoever it was was training him upright. This may have been a blessing from God that his dad and his grandfather were dead by this time because Josiah was raised right. He really was. He became a man. He was a man of faith. He's a plus sign there. Um, he was. He was the best there was. I, I, I don't think you can find a better king uh, of Judah in, in a whole list. He just um, the the, all, the records are just consistent and. and High praise for him. Now we had a guy earlier. I don't think he's even on the map here, but um, Joash. He's he's off the top there, but um, he was one that was put in at the age of seven, pretty close to Josiah, and he was good as long as a high priest was alive. The high priest was the one that raised him up, and then he went back. Although it doesn't go into detail on the king, but well, Chronicles. Um, but Josiah was one that he, he simply did not go bad. He was, of course, he died kind of young. Maybe that was a bad thing, too. <laughs> yeah, Tracy. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Can you get to it? found in the book of the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely... We're not going to leave that one out. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, in verse 3, this is chapter 22, 2 Kings 22, verse 3. Um, in his 18th year... Now, in Chronicles, it tells about some things he did earlier, but King's talking about in his 18th year, they're working on... Restoring what? The temple. the temple. Yeah, which of course has been in bad shape since you know, we saw Manasseh dumped to it. Terrible. Um, and in the process of, of cleaning out all the rubbish that the, the sinners put in the temple, what do they discover? Yeah, the book of the law. Now, exactly which book this is and what we would call it today, I don't know. Um, uh, or whether it might have been, they might have called it the book, and it might have been several of what we call the Pentateuch. Um, 
I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure the people were aware that such a boat existed, but it hadn't been seen quite a while. Um, maybe, maybe in the days of Manasseh, somebody stuck it in a hiding place, knowing that you know if they left it out, Manasseh would, would just destroy it. I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not convinced this was the only copy that ever existed that existed in that day of that book. There may have been some people might have had other copies, but it was the first one that that Josiah had ever heard. When he when when this book was read to him, that was the first time he, apparently that he heard these things. Because he was just shocked. Um, what did he know was going to happen unless uh, unless they asked God for help? Yeah, they were going to be taken captive. Um, now, the book of Deuteronomy very clearly says that, and that and that may have been at least part of what was was in this book. And so, you know, wow, we're in terrible shape. Um, he sent that to a prophetess. What was um, what was her name? Hold it, yes, prophetess, uh, to ask whether, you know, was there anything to do? Is this really going to happen? And what'd she say? It will. Yeah, she said it certainly will happen. However, because you have wept before God, and, and in other words, he was sorry for these sins, it's not going to happen in his days. Um, I think it, if he'd lived to a normal length of life, it would have been in his days, but God shorten his life mercifully. Um, but Josiah, jo- Josiah doesn't just sit back and say, oh, fine, uh, not, not going to have my days, you know, who cares? That wasn't his view. He wanted to do everything he could to rescue the people. So, in chapter 23, uh, he had us to make a covenant to obey this, this law. And you know what? They obeyed that covenant as long as Josiah was alive. <laughs> as soon as he died, <laughs> out the window it goes. And it just showed that that was a problem. His reforms, for him personally, these reforms were, were, were thorough. I mean, he was a man of faith. But for the people, in general, the reforms were external. Hey, the king says we've got to worship God. Hey, we'll worship God, you know. The king said we've got a new king. He said we can worship Baal. Hey, let's worship Baal. And that's the way the people were. It was just sad. Um, but he just, he you know, chapter 23 is just full of, of his reforms, he went around uh, destroying the the, uh, the different idols that he found. In fact, um, this the verse fifteen is a bit of a surprise here. Um, the altar, which was where at Bethel. Now, here's the capital of Judah, Jerusalem. He knows Bethel is actually outside of his of his country. Of course, these boundaries tend to shift around a bit. And, and you know that the northern king doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the king of Assyria had replaced those people with with foreigners. But at, in in the world affairs right now, Assyria is on the decline, and they don't have nearly as much power. And so Josiah can can go up as far as Bethel. In fact, he's going to go farther than that. And nobody, there's nobody to tell him he can't do that. Um, and so what did he do when he got to Bethel? Told down the altar. What altar was this? 
Jeroboam's altar that he built for the golden calf, which is way, way a long time, hundreds of years earlier. Uh, And you remember when the young prophet went and he prophesied against the altar, oh, altar, altar, and he said, you know, there's going to come a guy that's going to desecrate this altar and he'll burn men's bones on it. Josiah's the guy. And here he is, hundreds of years later. And those people have been carried away captive, but God still remembers His promise against this altar. And Josiah desecrates that altar to try to stop people from doing idol worship there. And then they have a Passover in verse 21. Celebrate the Passover of the Lord. And in verse 22, surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. They had certainly celebrated Passover between them, you know, in that period of time. But not like Josiah did. This was the best, the best Passover celebration they had had. <laughs> the guy was great. He really was great. But verse 26, However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of His great wrath. What Manasseh had done could not be atoned for by the, the reforms that, uh, that Josiah was doing. And so, verse 29, in his days, Pharaoh Nico, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, the Virgin Euphrates. Now, i got to explain what's going on here. Um, Assyria, as I said, is on the decline. Now, there were, for of your major world empires, Egypt was one, although they were more of a has-been. But they certainly had Egypt you know, down off to the left here, they had a lot of effect upon Judah. Assyria, whose capital was Nineveh, was on the decline. And Babylon was on the way up. The king of Babylon was beating up on on the Assyrians. In fact, they they conquered Nineveh and and they had and Assyria had to move their cap their capital west because they didn't have Nineveh anymore. The Medes had teamed up along with the Babylonians. And together they, they were uh, they were driving the Assyrians into a corner. And Pharaoh was trying to go up and help the Assyrians. Now this seems strange because the Assyrians have been beating up on Pharaoh in the past. But Pharaoh apparently realized that he had more to fear from the Babylonians than he did from a weakened Assyria. And if he could prop up the Assyrians, then it would leave him free to do what he wants in, in this territory in between. And Josiah did not like this. And so he went to head off Pharaoh. Now this is a, a relief map. And the reason I show you a relief map is because that really dictated the paths that people took the roads, basically. And the path of Pharaoh was this one called the Way of the Sea. He came up along the coast. But you would have bypassed Judea by doing that. This is in Philistine territory. And when you get up, you, you can follow the coast until you get up to Mount Carmel. You can't, you can't stick to the coast at Mount Carmel. So at that point, you come inland, and there's a, a mountain pass. You can see right in between these two mountains is a mountain pass, right at the city of Megiddo. Megiddo was the fort that guarded the pass. And then you, you cross the, the plain of Esdraelon, also known as the plain of Jezreel, and then, and then up, up north, and he's got, got a ways to go uh, before he's done. But Josiah's trying to head him off. Apparently, Josiah wants Babylon to win and Assyria to lose, whereas Pharaoh wants Assyria to win. Um, and, but 
Josiah tries to head off uh, Pharaoh here. And um, he doesn't succeed. He gets killed in the process. From, they carry his body back to Jerusalem and his son, age 23, becomes king and fall downhill from there. Questions up to this point? Yeah, Tracy. Do we know who was prophesying during Josiah's time? Yes, Jeremiah was one of the major ones. Yeah, Jeremiah. Of course, we had Holah as a prophetess. Um, and there were others, there were some minor prophets, I forget the names, who were also at the same time. Now, um, just a few years after Josiah died, this is what the world map looks like. I say a few years because um, four years after Josiah died, Pharaoh went back up to Carchemish, and they had the, the famous Battle of Carchemish. Pharaoh was on the side of the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was fighting on the side of the Babylonians. Pharaoh and the Assyrians lost. And now Babylon is in control of this whole area. The world empire. The, I mean, remember last week we did it, and it was Assyria that had all this area. Now Babylon has all this area. Uh, this is the city of Babylon over there. Here's Jerusalem way over here, and down here is Egypt. And Egypt still has their own territory. Although, by the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar even gets into Egypt. And, and, and conquers that too. But this, this map is, is a little bit earlier than that. You see, here were the Medes. They had helped beat up on the Assyrians. Later on, they're going to team up with the Persians to form the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, okay, so, back to our chart. Uh, Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, Three of his sons and one of his grandsons will reign before it's all over. Um, they, the people made his son Jehoahaz king. How long did Jehoahaz reign? Three months. Three months. <laughs> this is not, not a good sign. Um, yeah, he. Um, uh, Pharaoh, let's see here, we're at 23. Verse 33. Pharaoh Nebo imprisoned him at Ribla in the land of Hamath that he might not reign in Jerusalem. Now later on we're going to see where Ribla is. Ribla is actually way in the north. Uh, I, I think Pharaoh must have summoned him after he had done whatever he was trying to do to prop up the Assyrians. And he wasn't happy with who the people had chosen as king. So he put him in prison. He's never heard from him again. And he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Now, you may recall a few weeks ago in the northern kingdom, the king of Assyria had imposed a fine of a thousand talents of silver. The fact that Pharaoh only picks a hundred talents of silver indicates that Judah is just a has-been. There's just not much left to it. I mean, I'm sure Pharaoh wasn't trying to give him a break. He just knew that's all he could get out of it. So then in verse 34, Pharaoh made uh, another son of Josiah named Eliakim the king, changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim reigns for quite a few years. I, uh, I don't have the exact date, but I think it's like 11 years. Um, and Jehoiakim Kim was the guy who had to pay that 
fine. Yeah, there he is, verse 36. He reigned 11 years. And he was evil. He was terrible. Um, we don't read a lot about him in the book of Kings. We read a lot more about him in the book of Jeremiah. So you have to keep this in mind for when we read the prophets because we're going to come back to this history. He was really bad. Um, I mean, he's reigning over very poor people. They're just few in numbers, so beaten down. But he wanted to build fancy palaces for himself, and so he made the people, he made them slaves. You know, slave labor free, don't have to pay them. And it was just, they were just a poor, downtrodden race. And uh, in, verse, in chapter 24, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and made him uh, become his servant. So he promised to obey Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, but after three years, he turned rebellion. And, and this is a. a all, all of these last few kings, they were constantly playing off Egypt and Babylon. They didn't like to really be underneath either one of them, but um, he, he, he obeyed Nebuchadnezzar for three years, and then apparently the Pharaoh convinced him, hey, you know, I'll give you a better deal. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like it when he finds out that he's not paying his annual tribute like he's supposed to. And that, you know, it's going to be he's going to be in big trouble. The time of the end is approaching, as we mentioned. 586 BC was the end. But but I need to mention that the captivity was not a one-time thing. Um, four different times, Nebuchadnezzar took some captives back with him to Babylon. Uh, I can't give you the dates of them, but four, uh, except for the last one, which is of course 586. Um, and in one of those he took Daniel and, and his three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they, they were taken captive um, in another one he took Ezekiel and the vast majority of the people and in the last one he took um, King Zedekiah and, and nearly all was left and there was one other one that I don't have much information about uh, but there were actually four from what I've read. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't write down either reference. But, um, so, and each time he's leaving fewer and fewer people behind, and the people <coughs> behind are, are poorer, lower skilled, you know, more downtrodden. Um, Jehoiakim, as I said, he was a big jerk. Um, he he would have killed Jeremiah if he could have got hold of him. Uh, we'll see that from the Greek book of Jeremiah. Um, he died, and that says he wasn't even mourned. Nobody felt bad. He was dead. His son Jehoiakim then got to reign for how long? He's another three mother. <laughs> and and after that, Nebuchadnezzar carried him into captivity. But he wasn't good. I mean, he was a bad guy. And then his and then Jehoiakim's uncle, who of course would have been another son of Josiah. So we have three sons of Josiah that reigned. Jehoiakim's uncle. Zedekiah reigned for the last 11 years. And, and Zedekiah was supposed to be just a puppet king. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had taken away every, all the skilled people, anyone that could raise a rebellion, he thought, and just left the poorest in the land, and it put Zedekiah, which was which kind of nice that he would put a, a, a descendant of David on the throne, uh, put him on the throne, now do what you're told. And he, play, he plays the same game that all the others had, you know, plays each song as Babylon, and, and, and he did, you know, does the idolatry, all the sinful stuff. So finally, Nebuchadnezzar had it, and he, he comes in and um, besieges the city, 
and they had these ter- a terrible famine. And then um, finally breaks through the walls. And in uh, chapter 25, verse 4, the king, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is coming in the north side, the king was up the south side. And he's trying to get across the Jordan. And uh, the, uh, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar's men, they chase him and finally catch him, it says, in the plains of Jericho. And then in verse 6, they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Um, and here's a bigger view. Riblah is up here on the Rontes River. Uh, that was where Pharaoh had summoned um, Zedekiah's brother to put him in prison. But um, So Nebuchadnezzar apparently has his headquarters there for it. He's not just beating up on Jerusalem, he's beating up on all the nations all over the place. So he, he can't have a central location. And he summons, he summons Zedekiah and he, he did a terrible judgment against him. And he killed a bunch of the other people that he'd taken captive. And then at the re- in the rest of the chapter, he, um, he, he looted the temple. Um, those huge bronze columns that Solomon had made cut him into pieces because he was going to melt them down for the bronze. It was, just, it was very sad, you know, just what was left. And he still left a caretaker government behind, though. In um, verse 22, now as for the people who were left in the land of Judah, who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, over them. Gedaliah was also of the royal family. I don't have the exact genealogy here, but um, he didn't leave him as, as king, but as a governor. And he reigned in um, in Mizpah, in verse 23. Uh, Mizpah, you see, is some, somewhat north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is pretty much, I think it was completely deserted. They it, it pretty much wiped out that city. Now you've got a few people left. Jeremiah was one of them. And you'll read about this story in more detail when we do Jeremiah. And it's still not done. One of the Judeans, Ishmael, who was an army officer, uh, he was under the, he was hired by the king of Ammon. Uh, he came in and he murdered Gedaliah and killed a bunch of other people. People who were left decided they were, they didn't want to hang around for this anymore, and they went to Egypt, and the land was completely deserted of Jews. Either, either they were off in Babylon or they were down in Egypt. God had really carried out His judgment thoroughly on these people. The book then ends, the last three verses, 24, 27 to 30. It came about in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, who was Zedekiah's nephew. We never hear of Zedekiah again. But his nephew had been taken captive 11 years earlier before Zedekiah. In the 37th year of his exile, Nebuchadnezzar died and his son, Evil Merodach. And evil doesn't mean he was a bad guy. This was, just, this was about, you know, in their language, it, it had some meaning. I don't remember it. Some kind of a, an idol, idol name. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon. In the year that he became king, released Joachim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him. And, and he treated him nice the rest of his life. And... and in fact, he had children, grandchildren. 
He had descendants that came back after the exile. Jehoiachin did so, of course, this was the line of David. But this is where the book of 2 Kings stops. I, I assume that it was written not too long after that, which would have been, would have been written in the time of the exile. Um, now, I want you, let's look at the big picture before we start Chronicles here. Kings started at the very pinnacle of, of glory for Judah. The king, King David, had brought the kingdom up to its greatest extent. It was powerful, peaceful. Solomon took over, no enemies, it was just wonderful. Built the, the temple, everything was great. And it was all downhill for hundreds of years. Now, this um, David reigned roughly 1000 BC, and we're down. Uh, 586 BC. So, over 400 years we've done in the books of First and Second Kings. So, 400 years. I mean, if we went back 400 years from where we are now, um, year 2013, it would be the year 1613. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of years. I mean, we're talking about the Pilgrims and Jamestown and that kind of stuff was going on in this land 400 years ago. So that that's the period we've just read in, in just a matter of a very few weeks here. But we, um, and the whole time it had been going down, 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 getting occasionally, you know, going up like with Hezekiah or with Josiah, but ultimately going down. And God is working out, and God has made great promises. He made promises to Abraham that haven't yet been fulfilled. He made a promise to David that hasn't yet been fulfilled. And it seems to the people this was just absolute disaster. They could not imagine God abandoning his temple and Letting them go from the land. It was just, and some of the psalms are written after this, and it just, you know, you really understand what they're going through as you read those psalms. Uh, but this was all within God's plan. In order to prepare the way for His Son, it was necessary to go through some, some very painful processes in preparing the people. They come back after 70 years in captivity, they come back uh, under a guy named Zerubbabel who was a, a descendant of, of, I believe, of Jehoiakim, and set out to rebuild the temple and all this, but it's never what it once was. The, with, with the exception of a very few years, they were never really independent. Certainly were not independent in the days of Jesus. Um, and, and it affected their outlook. Uh, it, it, this was this discipline was major. And in fact, it accomplished the primary purpose. What was their big sin for the, the captivity? Idol worship. Idol worship. After they came back, that went away almost entirely. In the days of Jesus, there were there were no idols in the land. The people were not idolaters. The, this this discipline had completely purged idolatry from the people. So it accomplished its purpose. But wow, what a, what a price! Um, but. God is not on to stint. He, he can afford heavy prices. <laughs> and, so that is the books of First and Second Kings. Any questions before we move on to Chronicles? All right. Now, Chronicles covers the very same period that Kings covered. And so the immediate question is, well, why do we need an extra set like this? Chronicles has a different viewpoint. And that's what I've put on this chart here. Uh, 
some of the differences. Uh, Kings covers the history of both Judah and Israel. Chronicles only covers the history of Judah. You'd hardly know that Israel existed if you read Chronicles. Kings deals with what we call prophetic history, emphasizing the major events with which God guided the history of His people. Well, what else is there? What other kind? Well, there's sacred history. <laughs> Chronicles deals with sacred history. So the book of Chronicles emphasizes the temple, it emphasizes the feast days, uh, priests, the religious reforms. That's the emphasis in Chronicles. And we'll get lots of extra details of things we've, we've heard about in Kings. But if they have to do with the temple or something like that, I've got lots more details. Um, you, you'll have verbatim prayers that will go for, uh, for verses and verses in, in Chronicles. Uh, it centers around the worship of, of God. Um, Kings includes personal stories like the sin of David of Bathsheba that affect the history of the nation. That's the key. The, the sin of David of Bathsheba affected the, the whole nation, so it was an important story. It omits stories that do not affect that history. The chronicle, the chronicler, on the other hand, he leaves out David of Bathsheba. You would never know David's sin with Bathsheba if you read the book of Chronicles, even though that's such a major point in the book of Kings. He'll include stories that aren't in Kings, but they illustrate faith in God, or sometimes the absence of it, or faithfulness to the law. They, they may not affect the, the political history at all, but that's not the, the, the that's not what the chronicler is interested in. And as you probably know by now, it includes numerous genealogies and lists of names. <laughs> now, it is possible that Chronicles was one of the very last books written in the Old Testament. Um, and you, you can find out about that in the, the chapters you read for this morning because some of these some of these genealogies go right past the captivity and keep going on into the time when the people were back from, uh, from Babylon. It mentions... Um, well, I don't remember if it mentions Zerubbabel. No, I'm pretty sure it does mention Zerubbabel. Um, but it mentions others. I mean, it, there's several of the, the genealogies that go right up into that time. Um, though a lot of people believe that Ezra wrote this book. And when you read Ezra, which, keep in mind, Ezra and Nehemiah originally were one book. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll see a lot of similarities with this. You'll see genealogies, lists of names, <laughs> and numbers, just like in this book. And the viewpoint of the book of Chronicles really is a viewpoint of a people that have come back from captivity and are, are small are trying to reestablish the worship of God. That's why you have so much emphasis here on temple, feast days, and all that because for 70 years they didn't do that. Now they're back from captivity. They've got the temple built, but they're small, they're, they're, they're enslaved to the Persian Empire, and they need to be stimulated to to really go, to really build this temple worship back up to what it was supposed to be. And how, what better way to do it than to remind these people the stories of their ancestors gone before, and how those people sometimes had to do the same kinds of reforms, and how they how they celebrated these feasts, and and, and, uh, and so on. It, it's um, so each of the the kings and chronicles they, they had different a different reason, a different purpose. And so, they, and so you see different stories in them. 
Now, here's our outline again. We'll do, do both books together because it was originally one book. Um, we have the genealogies. The first nine chapters are genealogies from the creation up to the restoration. The restoration means coming back after the Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> then we have the reign of David. Saul, Saul just kind of very, very briefly, only as he interacts with David. David is really the focal point of, of the whole book, the whole book of Chronicles. Um, and so then we have Solomon, and the emphasis in, in both David, with both David and Solomon is the temple. David prepared for the temple, Solomon built the temple, and, and most of the story there is going to be temple. Then we have the kings of Judah, and finally we have the destruction of Jerusalem at the very end. <coughs> Okay, um, now I want to look at the, the genealogies. This is what you read for this morning, um, and this is an out. This is a, a detailed outline of the first nine chapters. Uh, first, we have the genealogy of the human race from Adam to Noah, and that takes four verses. Where where would the first three verses come from in in the Bible? Genesis. Genesis. Yes, chapter five. Be, um, every one of the names in chapter 5 is in verses 1 through 4 here. Now I want to show you something that, that is maddening about these genealogies. See, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, each of these is the son of the previous guy, right? He's not saying son. Let me just listen. Fine. We know. Ahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Shem's the son of Noah, right? Who's Ham the son of? Now, how would you know that? Only way you know it is because you have the book of Genesis. You now, if you kept reading, you might figure it out later on in this chapter. But this makes it very difficult because of this style of writing. It can make it hard to understand. And there, there are going to be people in here that we don't know. What was this guy the brother of the previous guy? Is he the son? You don't know. Uh, you may recall, I asked you to look for an Easter egg this week. Uh, any of you find the Easter egg? Chapter 4. Jabez and his prayer, yes. Chapter 4, verse, um, verses 9 and 10. And let me just ask you, who was Jabez? Who was his dad? <laughs> um, was it this guy named Cause that comes out before? Maybe. We don't know. I mean, this is, this is the style of this uh, of, of these genealogies. Um, and and yeah, an interesting story about Jabez, two verses, but nowhere else in the Bible. And the guy's never mentioned again. So, you know, if you don't get it from those two verses, that, that's, all, that's all the chance you get. His name meant painful, because his mother bore him in pain. He, he prayed God that God would take away pain. God did. <laughs> um, then in the rest of chapter 1, we have the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, along with some Esau and the Edomite chiefs. Then, beginning in chapter 2, we have the descendants of various tribes. Judah, Simeon, Reuben, Gad, and then we have Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. Why do we have those three put together? They were all situated on the east side of the Jordan, Yes. Uh, Levi, the priest of Israel, Issachar, Benjamin, Naphtali, Manasseh. Again, this is probably the rest of Manasseh. Ephraim, Asher, Benjamin. The order is a little bit odd, although Judah gets the bulk. He gets the bulk of it because Judah was 
that was what David came from. In fact, when the people came back from captivity, they were all, almost all of them were from Judah. Um, there's a couple of tribes left out here, strangely enough. Dan and Zebulun are never mentioned. <laughs> I don't know why. I can guess why. And I, I, I would suggest part of what's going on here is that the writer, maybe he's Ezra, is going over very ancient records. In fact, in one place you might have noticed is that the records are ancient. You might have noticed that phrase in the reading. Uh, he's going over these ancient records and he's trying to preserve them because the people are kind of feeling lost. And he wants to give them some root. You know, here are your ancestors. Here are the people. And so he, he collects as many of them as he can find. And my guess is he didn't find one for Dan, didn't find one for Zebulun. And the others are in various states of, of you know, preservation. Some of them are pretty fragmentary. And I think that's sometimes why he'll just skip from one end to the next. Because you know, that's all he's got. But he's trying to give as much as he can for a foundation. So these people will see, you belong. You know, you're part of the story too. You're, you know, look at all these people behind. You know, they're, they're, some of them are just names, but they were important. They're still recorded in God's word, and so you, you're important too. I think, that, I think that's the lesson that Ezra was trying to, to make. Questions? Um, let me just mention the, this prayer of Jabez briefly, just because I told you he's right. Uh, in the year 2000. Uh, uh, there was Bruce Wilkinson was the author. He wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez, which became really, really popular because Bruce Wilkinson was invited to be on James Thompson's program. And <laughs> that's almost guaranteed success. And uh, it's, all, it's all about this, this one prayer. And, and he said back when he was in college, he found this prayer and he started praying it. And he's been praying it ever since and it's done wonders for him. And, and I, I read the book some years ago. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a nice book. I don't know whether... Everything he says about Jabez is, is correct. He may be getting more out of this than, than what's in the story. But um, obviously the prayer was a scriptural prayer because God answered it. I don't know whether it is always... I mean, it may depend on the situations and all. One of the criticisms of Wilkinson's book is that it, it kind of goes in the direction of the health and wealth gospel. You may have, you know, name and claimant, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's... God has not promised us health and wealth. God has not promised us, if you name it, you can claim it from me. God has promised whatever we ask, He will give us. But that it has to be within His will. And, and it's not always His will that we will be wealthy, nor is it always His will even that we'll be healthy. But there's, there's some things we can pray that we know are in His will. He will, we, we, we don't have to doubt, He'll, he'll grant that. There's others that we don't know, but it's not wrong to ask. You can ask for health, and we don't know whether God wants you to have that or not. But um, in, in Jabez's case, he wanted God to enlarge his territory, and I assume that he was enlarging it by conquering some of the original inhabitants of the land, which God had commanded them to drive out. So it, it, it was a perfectly scriptural request to make. Um, the equivalent today might be, Lord, would you please fill these pews? We want, to, we want our borders to be enlarged. <laughs> and I think that would be a very scriptural prayer and, and that God would answer. Um, that doesn't mean He would do it without any work on our part, which I'm sure Jabez didn't get the answer to his prayer without any work on his part either. Um, but I think we can, we can be 
inspired by this prayer and encouraged that God has listened to us too. All right. Appreciate everyone's help. More of First Chronicles next week.